Lord, as we open your word, would we also open our ears to hear what you have to say to us through the reading of your word and through the preaching of your word. Would we have minds that are focused on you, listening well, understanding what you have to say, and hearts that are longing to know Jesus better, longing to become more like him. Lord, would your usual words do its work to bring people to know Jesus and those already do to become more like him. Amen. So John 10, verses 1 to 21. If you be on the screen, uh, if you want to follow in the Bibles on the pews, it's page 1076. John 10. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. The Jews who heard these words were again divided. Many of them said, He is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, These are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Great. Well, if you'd like to keep that passage open in front of you now, um, the more astute amongst you will notice that um, I'm not uh, Keith Murphy, who you may have actually been expecting to speak today. Um, If I am, I have shrunk a little. Uh, I've developed a slightly more English accent, and I'm no good with eyes. So... uh, but uh, as I say, Keith had to go back and forth to Northern Ireland this week, so uh, I've, ste- I've stepped in to do all this. And it, I have to say, Keith, I'm, I feel very privileged because this is one of the most wonderful passages of Scripture to speak on today. Um, I am the Good Shepherd. So, John 10, 1 to 21, I am the Good Shepherd. So, we start today with a, with a fairly profound question. What is the purpose of life? 
Because if you go out there today um, and ask people, what, what, what is the point of life? What, what, what is their purpose in life? Um, people would probably come up with different things. There were some who would say actually to have strong family relationships or, or strong relationships in life would be the goal, the goal of life. Others might say the pursuit of career, uh, to accumulate as much as you can to give yourself security and older age is perhaps what they're looking for. Others might just look at, and Spider-Man denotes this, um, that it's all about power, to get to be the most powerful. But I think most people would say that at their heart of hearts, what they really want to be is to be fulfilled in life. And that's always a profound question of actually what in life brings true fulfillment. And part of that, we th- I think, is answered by this passage today. Because Jesus himself says in verse 10 of this passage, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now that's a really bold claim that Jesus is making in the passage today. He is saying that if you follow him, that is life truly fulfilled. Now, if we go right to the end of the passage, we see what the reaction was of the crowd to the words that Jesus said, the Jews and the Pharisees who were hearing it. And the Jews who heard these words were divided. Isn't it interesting how so often when even Jesus speaks, it causes division amongst people. Some get it and others don't. They were divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And when we confront Jesus, we're actually left with a question of actually who is Jesus? Because so many people today would say Jesus was just a good man. He came up with some great teachings that if we follow, then it makes us better people. But Jesus never claimed to be just a teacher of good things. C.S. Lewis was mentioned uh, last week, uh, mainly because I think he was from Belfast. Um, But also, aside from writing The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe and other things, um, he did write one or two really, really good books. And one of them, he said... When confronted with Jesus, we have to ask a simple question. Was he mad? Was he bad? Or was he God? Those are really the three options that we have when we come to confront Jesus. And here today, we have a picture of Jesus being the shepherd of the sheep. Now, that sort of scene that you can see there is a fairly typical, as I'm led to believe, pastoral scene uh, in Israel. Uh, from today. Uh, you can see it's not quite the uh, the lush, green Warwickshire countryside, rather like you would have around Chris and Mandy's house, um, but ra- rather more arid. Um, in fact, they would have to move the sheep around quite a lot to avoid the sheep overgrazing. But um, she- the question for, you, for, for, for the children, perhaps, today, uh, which animal do you think is most commonly referred to in the whole of the Bible? Any, any guesses at all? Any guesses? Anyone? Yes? Yes, you guessed it, sheep. Yes, they are. In fact, and, and here, here's, a, here's a question for extra clever people. 
Um, how, how many times do you think sheep are actually referred to in the Bible? How many times? Any, anyone care to hazard a guess at all? Anyone? I'll tell you, it's 400 times sheep are referred to in the Bible. Uh, and indeed, shepherds are referred to no less than 100 times in the Bible as well. And you think, well, why, why are sheep and shepherds? Why is such a, such a big theme within the Bible? Well, partly it's because um, the, the Jews came from an agrarian economy. And sheep were very much part of their, their life. And, and they, they could identify with this whole um, analogy of sheep and shepherds. So we're going to look at the passage today and split it into three sections. Firstly, we're going to look at the question of the fact that sheep are lost without a shepherd. Secondly, we're going to look at how the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And thirdly, how life is fully lived when the sheep know the shepherd's voice. So firstly, sheep are lost without the shepherd. Now, I imagine most of us here have grown up in fairly urban areas. We're not particularly uh, used to sheep or, or how they behave. Uh, my grandmother was from a Welsh farming background, and uh, she used to delight at going out into the Warwickshire countryside um, in the spring to go and see the lambs. She would never tire of seeing sheep just gambling around and grazing, and I never quite saw the appeal as a child, I'll be honest, but, um, but for her this was very much part of, of her childhood. But, but sheep are, on, are, I would say, in some senses, not the brightest of animals. In fact, all that they are focused on generally is eating. Eating, eating, eating. And actually, if you go out into the fields, you'll see the heads down, eating away. And there is, there's a danger here, because they will often, as I said, overgraze where they are. They have to be moved around, unless they have vast areas in which to graze. And they often tend to do quite stupid things as well, which they'll carry on grazing, 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 heads down, and they'll end up reaching water and falling into the water and sometimes drowning. In fact, if they do fall over, they're often, they often can't get themselves up either. Um, so, yeah, they're not the brightest. And, you know, they sometimes watch the edge of ravines and fall over. So they need shepherds to look after them fundamentally. Now, I personally find this quite insulting that us as human beings are compared to sheep. Um, I just wonder if we could have the clip there, Christopher. They're all on their mobile phones in case anyone was working out what they were trying to do. Yeah. Yes. Unfortunately, we are rather like sheep, particularly when we're on our mobile phones. Um, in fact, this was prophesied in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. Because sadly, our, our natural state as human beings is if we don't have a shepherd, we tend to go off and do our own things. Coming back to what I looked at the start, we tend, none of these things are bad in themselves. You know, pursuing relationships, pursuing career, um, you know, getting into positions of power. None of these things are bad, but if they become all-consuming in life, they tend to drive us astray from where the real meaning of life is, and that is following Jesus. Because right at the start of John 10, it says this, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. And what it was saying here 
is that actually any, anyone who, anything that, that pulls you away, as it were, from being within the sheep pen is effectively no, no better than a thief and a robber. And this concept of a thief and a robber comes up throughout John chapter 10. Jesus says again, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. Jesus is alluding to those who have come before him and have led the people of God away from the truth, the false teachers in Israel. And he says in, in, chat, in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And then he goes on to talk about the hired hand. The hired hand, in other words, the, the person who's, who's paid to take over the role of the shepherd. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. When I was uh, a student in the mid-90s, I, uh, in order to earn some extra money, I went to work at an industrial laundry in Small Heath in Birmingham. Now, there are student jobs and there are student jobs, and this was one of the worst student jobs I think I've ever had, or I ever had in my time, as I'm no longer a student. But uh, for £3 an hour, I used to have to stuff dust mats into large industrial washing machines, rather like that, and then get them out when they were burning hot. And I can tell you, there is nothing worse than stuffing rancid uh, mats from walkers in Leicester uh, with rancid chip fat on them and, and crisp fat, and, and then pulling them out afterwards um, for three pounds an hour all day. Um, I have to say, I felt no great loyalty to that business whatsoever. Uh, and the owner of the business actually said to me, he said, he said he liked students because we would come in and we would work quite hard for four or five weeks. But he said, I hire anyone, and, and nobody stays in this job for longer than about two weeks because it was such a bad job. And that's what it's talking about here: is that there's a difference here between somebody who does it as a vocation, in other words, they just do it to get the money, and those who actually do it because they have a calling. And anyone, and, and those amongst you who've been a parent will know the difference between what a vocation is and what a calling is. So when you've got a child that wakes at three o'clock in the morning, you can't turn around to the child and say, I'm sorry, you're being very unreasonable there, waking me up at three in the morning. My hours don't start till 7 a.m. You have to deal with it. The difference between a vocation and a calling. It's interesting that there was a, um, an article earlier this year that grabbed my attention um, from, uh, and it was all about Julian Richer. Uh, for those of you who heard of Richer Sounds, which is a, a, a hi-fi chain that's been remarkably successful against the background of you know, retail climate at the moment in the UK. Um, and he got the headlines because he'd given away uh, his company to his longest-serving employees. And I was quite intrigued by this. So I, I got his book called The Ethical Capitalist that talks all about how he ran his business. And, and it was really interesting how um, he was saying that the reason why his business was successful was because he cared for his long-term employees um, rather like they were family 
rather than just treating them as employees and commodities. And I was thinking, well, I don't think this is origin original to Julian Richard, this concept here. Because here we have Jesus talking about his sheep going out and finding them and really caring for people profoundly, unlike the hired hand who doesn't care at all. Because if we go back right into the Old Testament in Ezekiel 34, there's a portent of what is to come with Israel being scattered. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, "'Woe to you, shepherds of Israel!' who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool, slaughter the choice animals, but you don't take care of the flock? You've not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured? You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost? You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains, on every high hill, they were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. See, that was the tragedy of the Jews. Before Jesus came, they'd lacked leaders for a long time. And Jesus was the one who was to come back and call the flock back to him. And he says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. He was the fulfillment of that prophecy in Ezekiel. So secondly, and, and, and profoundly, the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, back to Ezekiel 34. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. See, what is prophesied in, in, in Ezekiel is, is that God himself will come back to gather the flock. And when Jesus talks to the Pharisees here and teaches them, and they don't understand because they clearly haven't read the Torah themselves to understand where this has come from. Jesus is saying that he himself is a fulfillment of this prophecy in Ezekiel and that he's come back. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And then in verses 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the father knows me and I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And so if you notice the, the words there, I lay down my life for the sheep. I understand in the Greek, for literally means instead of. It brings that back to the concept of substitution. Jesus is, Jesus is saying that rather like a shepherd is willing to sacrifice himself to defend the sheep, Jesus himself is willing to go as far as actually sacrificing himself for his sheep, his followers. Now, this concept of sacrifice um, is probably not something that your average shepherd these days would be particularly familiar with in the UK because there aren't any great predators. But um, I went to Africa about 20 years ago and I met some Maasai tribesmen who wear blankets rather like this and um, they also carry around these things as well. 
Now, this is called a runga. And anyone who's ever been to Kenya will, will, will know what it is. Now, this was actually given to me by a Maasai tribesman. Um, and apparently, this is the main thing that they use to defend their flock, usually flock of goats rather than sheep, but keep with the analogy, um, against lions. Now, I'll be honest with you, if I was seeking to defend myself against a lion, I would want something rather sharper than this. But apparently this is very effective, and they demonstrated to me how they could throw this. I won't throw it at you, Jim, don't worry. Um, and how they could basically kill a lion with this. Now, if you are up against a lion, then I, I think, to be honest, you, you know, the odds are rather more even uh, than it would be if you, say, had a revolver or something like that. But that's how the Maasai defend themselves. And that's the concept which Jesus is talking about here, is that you know, it's either him or the opponent genuinely is sacrificing himself for the sheep. But it actually goes further than that. It goes even further than the sacrifice. In 14 and 15, notice these words, no. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. You see, Jesus isn't just sacrificing himself for his sheep. He's doing it in full knowledge of them. To demonstrate that, um, there's a story that's told about, uh, from about 100 years ago about a soldier uh, who was an officer in the, in the Russian army. And what had happened was he hadn't been a particularly good person. And he um, had been embezzling, in other words, stealing money from his fellow soldiers. And he knew that uh, this was going to come to light imminently and that the penalty for, having, for, for this being coming to light was death. And he thought he would rather preempt the situation. So he and tragically decided to get himself very drunk to give himself enough courage to take his own life. And uh, unfortunately, he didn't even manage to do that particularly well because he got himself so drunk that he actually fell into a sleep. And while he was asleep, the Tsar came along. The Tsar, of course, being the, the, the Russian king, happened to come along to inspect the troops and found this man slumped by these books. And he was trying to work out what was going on. And he opened up the books and he could see that uh, this fraud, this embezzlement was about to be exposed. And the Tsar took pity on him. And he wrote beneath it, the debt is cancelled, and sealed it, the Tsar. The man woke up the next day uh, out of his drunken stupor and uh, realised that he was free. And yet the, the amazing thing was, the Tsar, the Russian king himself, in the full knowledge of what the man had done, had still cancelled the debt, and he was free to go. And that's really what is being said here is that even though Jesus knows our inmost darkest thoughts, the things we've done that nobody else knows at all, he is still willing to lay down his life for us. And that, that's, that's how profound that sacrifice is. Thirdly, life is fully lived when the sheep know the shepherd's voice. Verse 3. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Of course, the sheep being his followers. Now, on Friday, I on Friday, uh, 
I, I had the privilege, uh, through a work thing, of doing some sheepdog training. Um, Wayne's already mentioned this. Uh, it used to be a very popular program. Um, they didn't actually have real sheep, unfortunately. They had geese instead of sheep, but it was still quite interesting. Um, and they had about eight sheepdogs, and there was a proper shepherd there with a crook and everything, much better than Wayne's crook. Um, and, and he... Uh, basically taught us the commands that we had to shout at and told us when to shout them. And, and the, these very obedient dogs were then round, round at the geese at the right point. Now, the one that I got, I got a Spanish sheepdog. And the shepherd said, does anyone here speak Spanish? And I said, I speak a little. He said, fine, well, you can do it then. So I had to shout derecha, which is Spanish for right, or ith, or short for izquierda, to go left. It was the most ridiculous thing, standing in a field in Warwickshire, shouting words in Spanish with a sheepdog running around. But the thing was, and it became soon apparent, that it didn't really matter who was shouting the word derecha, the sheepdog would obey because they were incredibly obedient. But actually, it's, it's a bit more than that here. It's not just a case of anyone, because only, it says only the sheep know the voice. Verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Only the sheep, only the true followers know the voice of the shepherd. And if we can uh, click this one here. This is Edward when he was very young, just to demonstrate, <laughs> demonstrate a point. To show... He did give me permission to use this clip. <laughs> but the thing was, there was Edwin, he's very young, and he knew my voice, and he, he responded immediately. And how often is it, particularly for those amongst us who are parents, where you can go and there's a crowded room, and there's lots of children wailing and everything else, but you can still hear your child out of all that. And that's the kind of knowledge that we're talking about here, knowing the voice, being able to recognise that voice. Verse 5, but they will never follow a stranger. This is a sheep. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize the stranger's voice. The sheep will only listen to the voice of the shepherd. So how can we, as sheep, how can we as followers of Jesus, know and hear the voice of God? Well, at this church, we, 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 we're firmly convicted that the way in which we primarily hear the voice of God is through his word, which is why we put such primacy on teaching and preaching his word here and how in home groups we, we study his word primarily because we believe that's the primary way in which God speaks to us as well. But God can also speak to us in other ways. Um, we did a, a seminar last year on, on prayer, uh, and prayer can be a way in which God can profoundly uh, speak to us as well. And as we looked last year, it isn't just a one-way conversation. It isn't just a case of us coming up with a list of requests, uh, but often God can speak to us through that. Um, the, and one thing I've discovered recently is actually just allowing for space and for, for time and for peace when you pray is that God, God's voice can be discerned. Uh, an example of this, I was praying for somebody about a month ago, and um, 
I, they, they came up for prayer at the end of something I was at, and they didn't ask for anything specifically for prayer, but we allowed some peace and some time, and I suddenly found some words to say, and I, I was praying, praying them for this person. And um, at the end of the time, uh, I said to them, is there anything specific that we can pray for? And they said, you've already prayed it. And the, and the strange thing was, is that I think God was actually speaking there in terms of what, what could be prayed for in that situation. And the thing is, um, it, it talks profoundly in this passage about knowing the voice of God, about actually through his Holy Spirit, through those of us who know him, he can guide us as we read his word. How, how often is it that um, you, you've been there studying the Bible, reading, reading the Bible, and, and suddenly something's come out at you. You thought, I've never seen it that way before. I, I've, I found particularly helpful doing uh, the Bible in one year thing uh, that uh, is available now as, as an app. And what that does is every day you can get a, a little bit of the New Testament, a bit of the Old Testament, and Psalms or Proverbs. And it tends to gather together around a theme. And the great thing about that is you really start to see connections and and God really speaks profoundly through his word. You can see the consistency of the whole uh, through it. Um, but, but, but the thing is, and, and this is the challenge to us, is if we don't regularly get into his word, if we don't regularly pray, we will find it harder to discern that voice. It says in, in verse 16, I have other sheep, and then, uh, uh, I sorry, I have other sheep, but they're not of this sheep. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there should be one flock and one shepherd. And what that's talking about here is it's not just going to be the Jews who are going to be the sheep. No, actually, it's going to be the Gentiles too. Those previously who have not been part of the flock that Jesus will be there for too. And they too, this is us, will listen to his voice. So we come back to this question again. Well, what is the purpose of life? And the question is actually, is that all these things in life can bring, can bring pleasure and everything else. But actually, the truth is, nothing brings fulfillment like following Jesus does. They, they did, there was a survey in 2013 um, by UBS, the investment bank, amongst millionaires. These are people who had between a million dollars and five million dollars. And they asked them a simple question. They said, are you, do you consider yourselves rich or poor? And amazingly, 72% of them, these are people between a million and five million, consider themselves to be poor. And I think that says something, doesn't it, about the human condition. Because even if you have what we would consider to be a huge amount of money, you still want more. You still want more. You're still not fulfilled. Interesting, I understand from the FIEC that the two people groups in the UK that are being reached the most for the gospel these days are those amongst the very poorest in society and those amongst the very richest. And I, and I suspect the reason why there is being impact amongst the richest, is that people are getting to the top of the ladders and are realising it's pretty empty on the top of the mountain. And that actually only true 
life can be lived by having a faith in Jesus Christ. Because he says in verse 10, I have come that they may have life and they may have it to the full. But in order to achieve that, that's come about through Jesus Christ laying down his life for each one of us. And he says it in, you know, in verse 17, the reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. In other words, to be for resurrection. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I receive from my father. You see, Jesus is there on the, on the commands of none other than God himself. And to us as, 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 as Christians, there's a real challenge. There's some great words that Spurgeon wrote about this passage. He said, He that enters in by the door shall be saved, and he shall go in. If you know what this means, go in. Go in, Father, go in more constantly. Do not stop where you are, but go in till you have a little more. If you love Christ, come nearer to him, and nearer and nearer still. But if you want to get into anything that is divine, you must get in it through Christ. O oh, you who open your Bibles and want to understand a text, the way to get into the meaning of a text is through the door, Christ. O oh, you who want to get more holiness, come through the door. The way to holiness is not through Moses, but through Christ. O oh, you who would have closer communion with your Heavenly Father, the way to come in is not through your own efforts, but through Christ. You come to Christ at first to get salvation. You must come to Christ still to get sanctification. Never look for another door, for there is but one. And one door will let you into life, love, peace, knowledge and sanctification. It will let you into heaven. Christ is the master key of all the rooms in the palace of mercy. And if you get Christ, you shall go in. Nothing shall keep you out of the secret chambers. You should go in God's name through Christ the door. I think just close with a, with, with, with a prayer written by a vicar in Oxford. Lord Jesus, I am thirsty to know you. I am hungry for the bread of life. I want to know you. I'm sorry for the years when I forgot about you. I've gone away from your ways like a lost sheep. I'm sorry I want to come back to you, the good shepherd. Thank you that you died on the cross instead of me. Now please come and take up residence in all parts of my life. Come in as my Lord and as my shepherd. Lead me to the water of life. Fill me with your spirit. I love you. Please fill me with your love. Amen. And so that's a prayer for all of us who believe. But for those of us who don't, there's an offer here, there's an invitation from Jesus Christ. He calls out to anyone who doesn't know him that you, could, you too can become one of my followers and you will know true meaning in life if you follow him. And if that's spoken to you today, I'd urge you to come up and let me pray for you at the end today. Amen.